Petersfield's Shine Radio. Welcome to Dogs with Jobs. I'm Kate Fairweather and today we're talking medical alert assistance dogs. Now, for the last couple of episodes, we've been talking about biodetection dogs. And that was on the back of a visit I made to the charity Medical Detection Dogs, which is based just outside Milton Keynes. And I actually went and visited their campus and saw lots and lots and lots of dogs all in training. And so today we're going to hear from Gemma Butlin, uh, who spent a lovely half hour with me overlooking a paddock in the sunshine, talking about all the various dogs that came out while we were talking and uh, their lives before they start work. So in this episode, we're hearing about how they identify likely talent in potential medical alert assistance dogs and also on how they socialise and train them at the training centre so that they're all prepared to go out, meet their human partner and have the best possible relationship uh, for the rest of their working lives. So hope you enjoy. Right, so it's lovely to be here, Gemma. I'm with Gemma Butlin at Medical Detection Dogs, and I'm actually properly here because I've come to see you at head office. In the flesh. In the flesh, and to meet some of your working dogs, or maybe one. It's the most beautiful day, and I'm amazed that you have lovely fish and chip van turning up for all your people. It's a good day to come today. (laughs) Yeah, I did wonder if it was an everyday thing, but no. Sadly, no, no. (laughs) So you're nicely placed, aren't you? There's a lot of green and... You're kind of in a rural situation, aren't you? Yes, we're very lucky. We're just outside Milton Keynes, um, which means it's easy for people to get to us from many parts of the country. And you're right, we're looking right now at our paddock, which is just brilliant. So we have lovely volunteer dog walkers that come in every lunchtime to take our dogs out for... Wee and a bit of exercise and a little bit further down there's a park and there's lots of lovely countryside walks around here so and we're very actually, lucky. I, I can see right now there's a couple of Labradors, one yellow one black I think. These are some of our trainers, uh, Becky and Lauren and they have got Jarvis and well, I'm not sure who that is we can ask them if you like. Yeah, let's ask. So this is a kind of runabout and a... This is let off some steam, exercise, lunchtime Who's the black Labrador guys? I can't remember Misty, Misty. So these guys are um, medical alert assistance dogs in training. Right. And they're just having a break. Okay. Hello, Jarvis. Jules. Jules. Oh, Jules, sorry. That's it, not Jarvis. They look exactly the same and they are related. Okay. Aren't you beautiful? Aren't you gorgeous? Lovely, aren't they? Yes, really gorgeous. So these are being trained as medical... Alert dogs. Yes, they are. Yeah, so the, they're because they're, that's um, the other half of the charity. Exactly. Yeah. So these dogs will, when they're fully trained, be able to alert somebody with about a five to ten minute warning when they're about to come become seriously unwell. Perhaps their blood sugars are going to become dangerously high or low. They might be about to collapse. There might be something that somebody's severely allergic to in the area, and they will give them, like I say, a warning so they know that they need to take the necessary action. And this not only obviously saves their lives, genuinely, sometimes several times a day, but it keeps them out of hospital, it avoids injuries, and it really gives them back a, a quality of life as well as saving their life. A lot of our clients, you know, they've, they've, been un- they've felt unable to go out for many years because it's just, you know, it's just too risky and scary yeah. and embarrassing, but these dogs um, open up so many doors for them. Give me a sense of scale, Gemma. 
I mean, how many dogs are you training on the medical alert side, if we just chat about that side of it for a sec? We've got over 80 fully trained dogs working around the UK on a range of conditions. Yeah, so um, for things like POTS, um, type 1 diabetes, severe allergies, Addison's disease, lots of conditions that um, really there aren't many other options to help you manage it. And and dogs like... um, Jarvis and Misty are in the process of becoming one of those dogs. So, they live... how long will it take them to train up? It, it can vary from dogs. It's around two years, mm-hmm. um, and they'll spend the first sort of year or eighteen months primarily with their socialiser, their volunteer socialiser, the family that they live with, and their trainer, learning all the basics, learning how to behave in public, learning how to be comfortable in all sorts of different places, whether it's a garden centre or a doctor's surgery, um, and then learning that when they're off their lead, you know, how to have fun and be dogs. You know, it's not, it's certainly not all work and, and no play. Um, and then they'll start their scent training, which is the, which is the part where they learn the odour that they're, that they're looking for. And how old are they when they do that? It's around 18 months, two years okay. when they would start. And will they have been trained to find something like tennis balls or some other thing before you start talking about a specific sense? From an early age, they'll have been learning the game. They won't realise they've been learning the game, but they'll learn that if they're sort of tasked to go and find something, they get a reward for it, whether it's a tennis ball, whether it's a piece of Kong. Because it's fun, isn't it, for them? The whole process for our dogs is fun. It's a big game to them. To us, it's saving lives. To them, it's a game. What's not to love? They're using their nose, which comes really naturally to them. They're, they're born to use their nose. And then they get a treat for doing it. I mean, <laughs> of, of course, they're going to enjoy it. So from a very young age, the dogs will have been playing the game. Um, they won't realise it, but they'll have been looking for tennis balls in the long grass. And then when they find it, getting loads of, rewar- loads of <laughs> treats and rewards. And they'll probably think, well, oh, I only found a tennis ball in the grass. That's what I do. But, or they'll have been searching for a treat on their volunteer socialisers sort of person somewhere it might be that they put it in their pocket or hide it under their arm or under their foot or something and then when they find that they get completely over the top reward so they know that when they're tasked to find something it doesn't matter to them what it is whether it's a tennis ball or a treat or perhaps a, a piece of kong and then in time the, what they understand about the game of search and find they'll, they'll be transferred to the odour of a, of a disease right So they all start the same way. And then with your medical alert dogs, what happens then? How do you train them on the distinct and specific scent? Well, the client that they've been matched with will be asked to provide some some of their um, some of sample odour to us. It right. might be a, a breath sample or a sweat sample or, or something like that. And their scent instructors will will again start to get them to recognise that odour. And once they recognise that odour good things happen they'll get a treat or they'll get lots of praise so again you know it's it's, it's a no-brainer to them that, that they'll look for it um and is that zoning them in to recognize the smell of that particular person it is generically. yes yes yeah. so they know that when they're with their client many weeks or months down the line and that smell starts to happen they need to do something about it and when they do do something about it they'll get treats and, and rewards so um to them i know i keep saying it but it, it really is it's a really positive reward-based training that we do here um to them they think oh gosh i can smell it i need to tell <laughs> i need to i need to do something about it i need to tell them but the client knows that they've got about five to ten minutes before they're be- about to become really unwell but it would be utterly specific to that particular person would it yes it would yes everybody has their own unique odor so how do you place them and how do you decide which dogs to partner with which is there a temperamental side of it as well and a lifestyle thing because i mean one's medical 
history isn't the only aspect no. that makes one unique. So. One of the questions we get asked the most here is how do you decide which dogs you, you use to then? And it's, it's, a, it's a really important question. And from, the, from as soon as they join us, hopefully at around, at around eight weeks old, we'll have been thinking about that. The, the team of people behind that will have, will have been thinking about that. So we're looking for the kind of dogs that will search for a tennis ball a hundred times and not get bored you know they've got a really high drive big play drive big play drive big desire to please form good bonds with people confident so you know we need these so it might be that you have an assistance dog that's got the odor but it needs to have the confidence then to tell you and if you perhaps don't see it the first time because you're in tesco or you're doing something they need to you know they need to learn to be quite sort of persistent so there's all sorts of character traits that the teams are looking for and then when we get to the stage where the dogs have, have have done all they can in terms of their scent work and their socialising and their behaviour and things like that. Um, we'll be looking at the client's lifestyle, like you say. You know, you, you probably wouldn't place a massive Labrador Retriever with a sort of slightly older uh, client that's, you know, isn't able to go out too much. Yeah. Um, that's just one example, but. Um, they're very very carefully chosen who, who they go to and it might be that the first time it, it's not quite right and I think it's really important that both sides are, are open to that um, but when they get it right oh my gosh it's so powerful it's just incredible to see and it will never not be emotional to the whole team it's, it's brilliant and with something like confidence I mean that is something that can grow isn't it you've, you've got many different characteristics that you're talking about there but you know the relationship between the partner and the dog is a two-way thing isn't it and a two-sided thing so something like confidence to be able to persist for example that's presumably something that you can train as well I appreciate that you can you can recognize a confident puppy just as much as you can recognize a shy one the bond is absolutely imperative and, and you know you often see it the second a dog enters the room you think this is it or you know perhaps you know we need to try one or one or two more other dogs the thing is with the alerting they're all different some of the dogs an alert will be an intense stare now you or I wouldn't wouldn't notice it if we were in a busy place but the, the clients and the dogs they're so in tune with each other they, they form such a close bond that the the client will know immediately okay they're trying to tell me something some of them might put a paw on you which is a little bit more notable but dogs do put paws on you don't they so the, the relationship like I say is, is just so important and they'll know straight away oh gosh they're trying to tell me something here um, and, and confidence you know building confidence in the right way will all start as a, in the really early stages of their journey we're very careful when we start what we call public access training which is obviously making sure that the dogs are comfortable in all sorts of surroundings we don't go in too too fast and too hard you know it'll be built up very slowly it might be that as soon as they've had their um, vaccinations we, we carry them into a garden center for 10 minutes walk them around get them to experience the sights and smells and that's enough for that day you know that the worst thing you can do is kind of is, is force it on them so this is all a really carefully planned part of their training and where are i mean say you have a litter of puppies will you pick particular puppies from that litter to work with and the others will go somewhere else or do you have a breeding program that's explicitly for medical alert dogs we had our first official litter from our breeding program uh, i think it was last year um, and lovely leia had six puppies um, and four of them remained with medical detection dogs um, and you know the obviously the sort of the personality traits and the physical characteristics of leia and her sire will have will have been will have been thought about and was it very obvious that those four were the ones Honestly, they were all, all as many puppies as she had, we were keen to get into our assistance dog programme. Um, 
a couple of them went to other charities because um, that was sort of what we'd agreed beforehand. And I, I think I can say we're hoping to have our second litter um, maybe later on this year. And again, the, the bitch um, has been sort of very carefully looked at in terms of personality yeah. traits and things like that. So we're hopeful, you know. I mean, obviously nature needs to play a part. But, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we would love for as many of those dogs as possible to become medical alert assistance dogs. And is that the plan going forward, more of a breeding programme? Well, we're a, small cha- we're, a, we're a small charity, so whilst we'd love to have a, a big yeah. breeding, we, we just wouldn't be able to support that in terms of volunteer socialisers and things like that. But, you know, like lots of people during COVID, we quite quickly realised that actually um, sourcing puppies was, was going to become a problem. Costs were sky high. You know, the rep- reputation oh. of the breeders and things, you know, your listeners will, will know this more yes. than most. And, of course, we were affected in the same way. So yes. we, that's when we, f- we, we first started. Um, we, we know we're only ever going to keep our breeding scheme small because that's that's what we can do but you know honestly four puppies sort of in-house if you like was was, a, was an amazing gift and we were we were very excited yeah i can hear that amazing wow so as a very small charity how do you operate in the immediate community are all your volunteers local to you here Yes, we ask for them to be within an hour of our centre purely because we do all sorts of training sessions here um, and our trainers will need to go out and about, you know, to like I say supermarkets doctor surgeries train stations all those kind of things so that obviously that does restrict us mm. um, and I know a lot of the assistance dog charities are in the same position finding volunteer socialisers is one of our big challenges yes. um, in the right place you know if, as amazing as it would be if somebody in I don't know York would help out it's, it's just not feasible for, for them yes. or us so we're, we're constantly looking for socialisers in and around the Milton Keynes area and presumably the lady, because while we've been chatting, Gemma, um, another couple of dogs have come out with their volunteer socialiser or trainer? Trainer. This is Flo, one of our socialising trainers. Right. So, um, and, and Storm is actually one of our biodetection dogs. The, the uh, yellow lab? The big yellow Labrador retriever. He's yep. one of our biggest dogs. Yeah, he was actually one of the uh, COVID-19 dogs um, during the pandemic and is still continuing with his work to, to teach us about sort of how the odour of that disease is changing. He's a lovely boy. He doesn't know his own strength sometimes. No, he looks very fit and well. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's... he is a lean, fit, mean fighting machine. He, he's brilliant. <laughs> so we've seen four of them so far, and they've all looked in tip-top condition and very fit. Yes, we're very lucky how to have you, a... How do you look after... We have a dedicated health and welfare team who are... Um, exactly that you know they're looking at their their weight their teeth their ears their eyes um, obviously they're regularly checked at, um, at our brilliant vets um, but no these dogs are all I mean look at their coats we can see them from here can't yeah. we the shine on yeah. them is just incredible waggy and tails also, we're in this lovely situation it's it's you know you can see a few houses but you're essentially in a rural location aren't you yeah. and that possibly lends itself to the very relaxed atmosphere do you know, we, we joke about it. It's like the school run at our centre. You know, nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning, they all turn up. They're desperate to get out of the car. Their tails are wagging. And, and you can see why, can't you? And do you yeah, know what? As a member of staff, I feel kind of the same. I don't wag my tail, admittedly. But um, I absolutely, I'll never tire of this. And, and, you know, this time of year, of course, we're blessed, aren't we? Blue skies and things. But um, and, and when the volunteer dog walkers turn up at lunchtime, you know, the hero's welcome they receive is just lovely to see. So, yeah, I mean, we're very lucky. And, and because of the size of the charity, we, we can be like this. You know, it's, it's a, there's a real family feel we all know pretty much all of the dogs um and um it's just a really lovely environment honestly for humans and and dogs so what are the medical alert dogs doing on site 
um, what training? Well, they'll be in the early. They'll still be in, so that they won't have been placed with a client yet, for example. So, so it's the pre-client training that you're doing here for the medical alert. Yes, dogs. yes. So the the assistance dogs um, that are on site are hello Storm. We come to hello. say hello. This is Kate. Hello Storm. You know I feel that um, my grandfather's name is Storm. Uh, yeah, family name. So the medical alert assistance dogs that are on site will be in the in the sort of the still in the socialising stages of their training. So it might be that they're going to go to Centre MK, which is a big shopping centre, with yep. their trainer a bit later on, or it might be that they're going to do a puppy class, yeah. um, you know, to sort of do some retrieve games and things like that. There's all sorts of things going on here all day, every day. On a Friday, everyone's favourite day, we have tiny puppy class <laughs> where our um, meeting room is kind of laid out with all sorts of random items from bubble wrap to a skeleton I think was there last week a hairdryer and these puppies are kind of slowly introduced to the room and encouraged to sniff all of these things and from a very early age realize that they're not scary they're not going to hurt them and actually they're really positive because they'll get a treat every time they sort of confidently approach them and presumably that will carry them through so even where a dog has been exposed and socialized with all that range of objects and people and situations if they end up living in a flat say with someone who's not very mobile that'll stay with them won't it absolutely yeah yeah positive association of course yeah positive association from a young age Mm. means that you know not much should phase them really and that's what we want oh this is max max is our german short-haired pointer he is such a character he is we love max now is he biodetection he is biodetection okay so we're seeing quite a lot of biodetection dogs yes yeah it seems to be biodetection dog lunch this is (laughs) thor he actually lives with me i foster thor hello uh, guys yeah he's a lovely dog we we had um three from his litter and they all look pretty much identical um how long will they typically work for and what happens once they stop working I mean, it's it's obviously there's no sort of one-size-fits-all answer to this. I would say perhaps at around 10 years old, a dog would retire. It might be that that happens earlier. Often it sounds a bit silly. They sort of might retire themselves. It's quite obvious that, you know, their, their driver's going, that they just want to put their paws up. No. Doesn't um, sound silly at And we, we work very closely with the clients, and obviously um, we're constantly sort of re- reviewing the dogs. We have an annual check-in with them all, at, at least. Um, and because the charity is now 15 years old, we're celebrating our 15th anniversary this year it's it's sort of naturally happened that we're kind of starting to look at more what we call successor dogs so you know original clients will have sadly lost their original assistance dog which again because of the size of the charity is heartbreaking to every single one of us um but we would start to work with a client you know well in advance of when we thought that might happen um so hopefully later on this year we'll have a few um successor dog partnerships to introduce which is um which is a whole different kettle of fish honestly you know and imagine exciting, but exciting then, but then i guess you're also placing a dog in that case with an experienced partner you are and they've got massive paws to fill you know you've had you say you've had your assistance dog for 10 years and they've saved your life I mean the bond is you know it's it's hard to imagine that you could do it again honestly but thanks to the expertise of our team and the understanding of our clients we are we are able to do that but um, and when they retire so now we're talking successor dogs um, when they retire do they typically stay with their partner or almost always yeah yeah but there's sort of an unspoken agreement that they can put their paws up and leave it to the young buck that's come in and, and often the successor dog will learn so much from the dog that's already there um but again, you know, it, it varies from client to client, but we're, we've got sort of three or four kind of in, in the making at the moment, which, which we're really excited about. Fantastic. Well, that's, that's lunchtime at the centre. That's lunchtime at the centre. <laughs> in the sunshine. Hi, Max. <laughs> Max has right. got the most energy of any dog ever. And Max is the pointer. Yes. 
and he's very distinctive because he's not a retriever. He's, he does look quite different. I mean, the other question we got, I'm sure you probably covered this before, is, you know, is it all sort of retrievers, spaniels? and? Um, I was going to ask you about breeds, Yeah, actually. I mean, often it's the gun dog breeds because it's natural to them to, to use their nose and, and the sort of the bonds they form with, with, them, with their humans. But we've got all sorts of dogs on our team across biodetection and um, medical assistance dogs at the moment. We've got poodles, um, we've got a standard wire-haired Dachshund. I guess all of those are sporting dogs, though, they are. aren't they? So they've all got a baked-in trainability. Yes, yes, they have. Yeah, they, yeah. they all have got incredible noses. Yes. So that was a general insight into the lives of all these medical alert and biodetection dogs before they start working, which is when they're really quite young. I was also intrigued, though, as to how they picked the talent in the puppies, because they don't have... A breeding program as such but they do work with breeders mainly gun dog lines to try and pick puppies that show the best potential talent here's chris the puppy picker at medical detection dogs charity just just giving us a little bit of insight into what he looks for when he's looking at these gorgeous puppies Hi Chris, this is Chris. Chris is actually the chap we were just talking about how we started the dogs. Nice to meet you. Chris, is, Chris does select the dogs, so okay. yes. he's, he's responsible for making sure we've got a good team. Four-legged team. Four, four-legged yeah. team, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so no, it's interesting. It's interesting to see them as six, eight-week-old puppies and then watching them go through the different sort of development stages and looking at their end sort of their adult personality to see whether that matches. how much can you see that? Now, I interviewed a farmer very early on in a very early podcast and I said how do you know if they're going to be any good at you know herding herding yeah and he said you could see it in the puppies he said all the best workers you were overly interested in the children's guinea pigs yeah yeah and trying to herd and then went on to trying to herd chickens and he said you could spot it very early so I'm wondering if it's if that's the same here yeah I'd imagine with those traits and what they're looking for them to do yeah. is is very much that's what they've been bred for yeah. so if you've got a puppy that's not showing any eye no stalking no awareness of movement yeah. it's quite easy whereas to say at eight weeks of old well, this dog's going to enjoy going shopping going on, on public transport enjoying going to into city centers that's very different mm-hmm. um so it's slightly different we have about so what are you looking for when you look at a brand new litter so what do you notice so i'm looking at their sort of social confidence how they interact with me as a stranger coming in um i have a novel object that i put down which they've never seen before um, and it's how do they explore it do they investigate do they go and think well okay that's strange so i'm going to sit to one side do they observe and think okay nothing's happened i'm now going to so look at their recovery rate um, looking at how well they do use their nose so I'll hide a treat under a blanket um, and do they just sniff it and then give up or do they sniff it and think oh something under there I'm going to pour so looking at their sort of determination to get to a food source um, as well as handling so when I'm just picking them up you know feeling their heart rate their breathing do they start to get a bit quicker in their breathing do they stay relaxed or do they go quite rigid um, so it's those sort of subtle signs that six to eight weeks they're just learning there's just so there's there's snippets um and it but there's a lot it depends on when they're fed it depends on whether they've been charging around as a litter depends on the weather if we you know go and see a litter eight you know eight weeks in august that's so hot that they're just normally flaked out and you don't get much from them so there's so many other 
variables that can sort of cause you challenges. Um, so when do you go back and visit? You go and visit them at about six weeks? Yeah, we only get the one chance. Okay. Um, because a lot of time we're working with breeders, so they may have a litter of eight puppies and they have seven other people who want to know which is their puppy. So you're getting first options. So we try and get yeah. first options. Sometimes it's second option because the breeder will be having one or the stud dog may have one. Um, but where possible, we try and get as far up the, the line as, as possible. Um, but then they've got other people waiting. So really, it's why we, we'd like to go out slightly later, but six weeks and allows the breeder two weeks to say, right, yeah, you can have that puppy, you can have that puppy. And then at eight weeks, we go back and, and pick them up and bring them back and place them for volunteers. So we only really get the one opportunity. Going earlier, you're not really going to see anything. Seeing a puppy at four weeks of age... You know, babies. It is that you're not going to see how they use any of their sort of senses and how they interact with you. So we have a very, very small window. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I feel we've done quite the trip around the Medical Detection Dogs charity, looking at the pu- from puppyhood right the way through the training and seeing them at work. And I do hope that we'll come back and, and perhaps bring on the podcast an actual medical alert assistance dog and perhaps a human partner, because I think that would be really interesting as well. But it was a big thank you to Medical Detection Dogs for having me down at their site. And congratulations both on reaching a 15 anniversary as a charity and to Dr Claire Guest for uh, being awarded the Order of the British Empire which she was just a couple of weeks ago so all in all a great triple I hope you agree and we're going to have something completely different for the next episode and switch it up a bit have a great fortnight I'll be back in two weeks Dogs with Jobs presented by Kate Fairweather and produced with John Wellsman on petersfield let's build a band a beat from dragon street and a snare from the square a bass from penn's place a gliss from liss and a fill from bell hill oh some vocals from us locals and the dave gilmore of tilmore only Petersfield's Shine Radio plays original music from local musicians. The Local Showcase with Mandy P is sponsored by Brickyard Studios. Petersfield's professional recording studio, rehearsal space and PA hire. The Local Showcase, Thursday nights at 9 and always online at shineradio.uk.